0: We'll go ahead and dismiss the kids to kids church this morning. Uh, Turn me down just a little, Eddie. Uh, Jesus said in the book of John, seven times, He said, I am. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said, I'm living water. He said, I am the vine, the true vine. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Pharisees, after hearing Jesus call himself, I am, tried to stone him. He said, before Abraham was, I am. In Exodus chapter 3, God gives himself a name. The very first time in all of history where God names himself and he gives himself the name I am. And when Jesus made those statements, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I am the good shepherd, I am the true vine, I am the door, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, Jesus was making the claim to deity. Jesus was, as plainly as he could possibly say, communicating to the Pharisees, I am God. And for that, they tried to stone him. But we know That the stone which the builders rejected, he's become the chief cornerstone. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to the book of, invite you to open up to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 10. As we continue to walk through the book of 2 Samuel, I want to warn you that up until now, David has been cast in a very favorable light. Well, if if you've cheated and you've read ahead, you know that 2 Samuel chapter 11 is coming, that David is going to do things and is going to make decisions and going to make choices that is not going to cast him in a very favorable, favorable light. Charles Stanley said one time, he said, spirit anointed preaching compromises no truth, avoids no subject, and fears no reaction. We cannot... We cannot avoid passages of scripture in the Bible just because they make us uncomfortable. Uh, We must walk through and teach all of God's word. Paul said to the Ephesians, he said, I declare myself innocent of your blood because I have not ceased to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. That means even the ugly stuff. And so as we walk through the book of 2 Samuel, we have seen David up to this point. We have seen David as the hero, David as the man after God's own heart, David as the covenant king, and he is indeed the covenant king. And we're going to see that again today, that David is a man after God's own heart. David is a man of compassion. David is a man of great grace and great love and great great tenderness. We're also going to see next week that David... Is a man. He is a man after God's own heart, but that does not made, that that does not alleviate the humanity of David, that he's a man who will make mistake after mistake after mistake. But I digress. First Samuel, I'm sorry, Second Samuel, chapter ten. Now it happened afterwards. Now let me let me let, let me stop right there. Uh, you said, "Well, <laughs> we didn't get very far, preacher." Now it happened afterwards. I want to remind you of where we were last week. Last week we had just gotten done. David had dealt kindly with Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, who was lame, who was crippled. And David had restored unto him the estate of Saul. And so so when it says now after this had happened, that's what this had happened. After David had demonstrated himself compassionate, had demonstrated himself to be the covenant king, the king who keeps his covenant, this is what takes place after David had restored Mephibosheth. So that's what this means. So, chapter 10. Now it happened after that the king of the Ammonites died and Hanun, his son, became king in his place. And David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent some of his servants to console him concerning his father. But when David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites, the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun their lord, do you think that David is honoring your father because he has sent his consolers? Has David not sent his servants to you in order to search out the city to spy out? and to overthrow it. So Hanun took David's servants, shaved off half of their beards, and cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips, and sent them away. When they told it to David, he sent, them, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly humiliated. And the king said, Stay at Jericho until your beards grow, and then return. Now when the sons of Ammon saw that they had become odious to David, the sons of Ammon sent and hired the Arameans, and beth And the Arameans of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Macha with 100,000 men, and the men with Tob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of mighty men. And the sons of Ammon came, and they drew up in battle array in the entrance of the city, where the Arameans and Zobah and Rehob, the men of Tob and Macha, that were there by themselves on the field. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him in front and in rear, he selected, from choice men of, he selected all the choice men of Israel and arrayed them against the Arameans. But the remainder of the people he placed in the hand of Abishai, his brother, and arrayed them against the sons of Ammon. And then he said to the Arameans, He said, If the Arameans are too strong for me, you shall help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come to help you. Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people, for the cities of our God. And perhaps, may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Arameans, and they fled before him. And when the sons of Ammon saw that the Arameans fled, that they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. And then Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. And when the Arameans saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadad Azar "...sent and brought out the Arameans who were beyond the river, and they came to Halam and Shobak. And the commander of the army of hadad Azar led them. And now when David, when it was told to David, he gathered all of Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Halam. And the Arameans arrayed themselves to meet David and fought against him. But the Arameans fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers and the Arameans, of the Arameans and 40,000 horsemen, and struck down Shobak, the commander of the army, and he died there." When all the king's servants of Hadad-Azer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Arameans feared to help the sons of Ammon anymore. Let's pray. God, as we read this passage, may you speak to our hearts. May we see your goodness and grace. May we see your compassion. But most of all, may we see application in our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray when you leave that you will trust God even in the midst of unexpectancy. Let me kind of set the stage for you and kind of bring you up to speed of what's going on in the narrative. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, David has spent about 15 years consolidating his reign. He has spent about 15 years putting down any... any, uh, skirmishes or any usurping of authority as he has taken hold of all of the covenant kingdom and that took him about 15 years to consolidate the nation of israel under one king under the covenant king and david is now reigning as the king the covenant king of israel that was promised to him in second samuel chapter 7 This is the same same promise that David uh, would realize, the promise that God made to him through Samuel the prophet in 1 Samuel, now it has come to fruition. David has just spent chapter 9 showing compassion and kindness to Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, as as a demonstration of his covenant love. He said, God honored his covenant with me, therefore I am going to honor my covenant that I made with Jonathan, and I am going to make this right. And so we see David showing compassion to the people of Israel. And then as we get to chapter 10, we see David showing kindness and covenant loyalty, not only to the weak and the cursed within Israel, but also showing covenant love and kindness to those outside of Israel. Now I want to point out, That David's covenant with Jonathan, by his own character, required him to show kindness and keep his word with Jonathan and with Mephibosheth. Even though Mephibosheth was, by definition of the culture, a cursed man, a man of shame because he was crippled and because Saul was his father and the God had removed the anointing from Saul, David honored his word. But I also want to point out to you that David was under no obligation to show kindness to the Ammonites. There was no covenant that David had made. There was no covenant that Saul had made. There was no legal or ethical or moral obligation that David had with the people of Ammon. Yet, David demonstrates kindness and compassion to the people of Ammon. God has... I believe in this passage in, in chapter ten, we see the the heart we see just a glimpse the heart and the compassion of our God that He is the God not only of the people of Israel but he is the God of all people that we see that that yes God. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that that God gives us. uh, It says that, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. We see that God has a special place, that God has a special designation for the people of Israel, that they are His chosen people. But we also see all throughout the the narrative of redemption history that God has demonstrated grace and compassion to those outside of this covenant people. We see women like Rahab, the harlot. We see... Uh, Ruth, the Moabitess, we see Naaman, Uh, we see countless men and women throughout redemption's history that God has demonstrated covenant love and compassion and grace to them. And in David, in this brief moment, we see that same compassion for the people outside of Israel. Now, I want to point out to you that David was genuine in sending a representative from his kingdom to the Ammonites to demonstrate compassion after the loss of the monarchy, after the loss of the king. And Hanun has surrounded himself with counselors that give him bad advice. We see how this plays out. We see that Hanun's counselors, that, that the other nobles there in, Ammon, uh, in, in the Ammonite territory tell Hanun that, that David, he doesn't really want to send consolation, but he's just doing this. He's just doing this to spy out the land. He, this is, he has ulterior motives. And so they convince the king, they convince, they convince Hanun that, that David is going to, to attack you, that this is just step one, and so we need to take a preemptive strike. There are weapons of mass destruction, and we've got to go in, and we've got to destroy things, right? Sound familiar? Well, I want to point out to you that they responded very unexpectedly. Now, I'm going to take just a brief moment here and warn us to be careful who you surround yourself with. You know, whenever I was growing up, we were always taught, you know, you you need to you need to watch the company you keep. Uh, well, I was the company that you didn't want to keep. Uh, growing up as a uh, as, as a child, I was I was very uh, very active. Uh, I was I was all boy. Uh, my brother and I often, uh, you know, the scripture tells us that uh, the scripture tells us that to spare the rod, uh, you hate your child. Uh, the scripture tells us that the rod of correction, uh, foolishness is is uh, in the heart of the child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from them. Uh, my dad believed those words very, very, very adamantly, and there were many times that that my brother he would catch a whooping just because he was with me. And there were many times whenever I would do something. And, and, and Justin would get caught up in whatever I was doing. And, and whenever dad, whenever dad dropped the hammer that everybody got a beating and it didn't matter if you were guilty or not, you were guilty by association. And, and so, and so there were many times whenever Justin would say, but I didn't even do anything. And dad say, you were with him. And because you were with him, you're catching the same punishment. And, and in our lives, I want us to understand this. This is a biblical principle. We see this in the book of 1 Corinthians. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 33, it tells us that bad company corrupts good morals. There is a reality that, that when we surround ourselves with wicked and evil people, that we begin to act and demonstrate ourselves in that wicked and evil way, even if we don't want to. Benjamin Franklin said, if you go to sleep with dogs, you wake up with fleas. You know, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, it tells us that he who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools suffer harm. And young people, I want you to understand this. If you hang out with people who are no good, you're going to be no good. Hanun surrounded himself with people who gave him bad advice. People who gave him, now it may have been wise advice wise counsel from the world's standard but i want us to understand that there is a wisdom that comes from above that is not of this world just because everybody else is doing it just because it is popular just because it is accepted in our culture that does not mean that it is right the companion of fools suffers harm bad company corrupts good morals So Hanun listens to these these poor advisors. And I want you to understand what they did to the people of Israel. There were two things that they did. They cut their robes and they cut their hair. No harm, no foul, right? Well, they didn't just shave their beards and cut their hair. They cut off half of their beard. And they cut their robes up to their hip. So what they did was they cut their robes high enough to expose their genitals. And then they shaved off half of their beards. And they sent them on their way. Now here are these these ambassadors from the nation of Israel. These high ranking officials in the king's court. And they are instructed to return back to the kingdom, to walk down the king's highway, to walk back to Jerusalem with your genitals exposed and with half of your face shaved. Exposing them to ridicule and shame. Exposing them very literally to shame of the highest order. When things happen... That are unexpected, it reveals our heart. There are times in our lives whenever, whenever the unexpected in our lives happen, and and the layers, the the facade that, that, that we've put up, the, the protection, the walls that we have surrounded ourselves gets knocked down and gets peeled back, and the, the heart is exposed. Several years ago, whenever my dad was diagnosed with cancer, the heart of a man is exposed. I didn't know how he was going to respond. I didn't know if he was going to be, you know what? I've only got a few months to live. I am going to go on as many hunting trips as I can go on. I am going to spend as much money as I can spend. I am going to live like I'm dying because I am dying. Or was he going to respond in, in grief and sadness? Was he going to be despondent and despair? Same thing with, with Pastor Steve several years ago. Whenever he was diagnosed with cancer, how was he going to respond? Whenever the unexpected happens, whenever, whenever Joel and Ashley were told just a few weeks ago, hey, I know you're expecting a baby in six weeks, but you're having the baby today. The unexpected happens. Whenever, whenever you walk into your, to your boss, when you walk into the office one day and your boss calls you in and says, I know you were expected to work here today, but that's not happening anymore. You, you are now going home. You are no longer employed here. How do we respond? The unexpected forces us to reveal our heart, whenever our spouse comes home and she says, you know, I, I want a divorce, or he says, I want a divorce, or, or, or we, we find out that there's been infidelity, or, or whenever our son comes home and says, I've been kicked out of school, or, or when the unexpected happens, it reveals our heart. I heard a pastor say this years ago, he said, when we are squeezed, what's inside comes out. If you take an orange and you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Orange juice. If you take a lemon and you squeeze a lemon, lemon juice comes out. When the unexpected happens in your life, what comes out? I want us to see what came out when David was squeezed. When David, in an act of compassion and grace, sends these ambassadors to the king to express his condolences, And he is squeezed and unexpectedly he is provoked to war. How does he respond? Look at the text. Verse 4. So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off half of their beards and cut their garments to the middle as far as their hips. And when they told it to David, he sent to meet them. For the men were greatly humiliated. And the king said this. Stay in Jericho until your beards grow and then return. Jericho was east of the city of Jerusalem. It was the closest point for them to find refuge. David's response was not a military. His initial response was not a military response. but It was a pastoral response. David's concern was not with how to seek vengeance and how to, to, to make things right between Israel and the Ammonites. David's concern was his people. David's concern was his ambassadors, he said, you have been completely humiliated and shamed. I want to provide for you a place of sanctuary, a place of safety, a place for you to recover, a place for you to heal, a place for you to no longer experience the shame and the, the humiliation that you've been exposed to. Do you see David's heart? He didn't say, Oh, just wait till I see Amon. I wait till I see the the sons of Amon. Wait till I see Hindu. I'm going to show him what for. We're going to amass an army. That wasn't David's initial response. His initial response was to care for his people. When the unexpected happens in your life, when you're squeezed, what's your response? Do you immediately start blaming other people? Do you immediately go into, into, into mama bear mode? Do you immediately go into, well, we're going we're to show, show him what for. We're going to take care of this. Do you get angry? Do you get vindictive? How do we respond when things don't go our way? The shepherd's heart here is revealed. Our response most of the time is to want to find a solution. How many of you husbands when your wives come to you, and they often do, with a litany of problems, you want to immediately tell them how to fix the problem. Right? My wife and I, we, 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 we try, after we put the kids to bed, they don't always allow us to do this, but we, we try and have just a few moments in the evenings where, where where we can just talk without our children, that doesn't always happen. Uh, but... but Oftentimes in those moments, my wife will, will sit down and she'll, she'll be, just, just begin unloading. And, and, and she'll say, so-and-so did this and so-and-so said that and, and look at what happened here, look at what happened there. And immediately my, my male brain starts, starts going, going into problem-solving mode, problem-solving mode. And that, that, that's the way our brains work. Well, if she said this, this is what you need to say in return. If he did this, this is how you need to fix the problem. But my wife doesn't want me to fix the problem. She just wants me to listen. And I'm like, well, if if I can't do anything about it, why do I have to listen to this, right? But, But I want us to see, I want us to see that David does not initially seek to solve the problem. He cares for his people. The book of Psalm, chapter 34, verse 8, tells us the heart of God. He said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. God is near to the brokenhearted. God is the father to the fatherless. He is the husband to the widow. He is near to the brokenhearted. That is who he is. And more than he wants to fix your problems, he wants to be a God of compassion and love and grace because you know what sometimes your problems can't be fixed. Sometimes the problem is in the inherent nature of humanity. Sometimes our problems can't be fixed this side of glory. Sometimes we are going to have to endure a life of hardship and difficulty because of choices and decisions that we've made. But that does not mean that God is not compassionate and gracious and loving and kind. See the shepherd's heart here in 2 Samuel chapter 10. He says... Stay here in Jericho. Get better. Heal. Then we'll come home and we'll deal with the Ammonites. That's exactly what happened. They come home. David says, okay, now that you're better, now that we've had time to lick our wounds, now that we've had time to assess the situation, let us go take care of these Ammonites. And so David amasses an army and he gets his choice as soldiers and he sends them out. But unbeknownst to David, the Ammonites knew David's response. Well, of course you knew David's response. You cut off his ambassador's robes up to their hips and expose their genitals, shave off their face. That's not a, uh, you know, great to see you come visit us next time you're in, uh, you're in the, uh, the territory of Ammon. We'd love to have coffee. You know, this is, this is an aggressive act of war. And so David responds in kind. Well, the Ammonites have taken and they have hired mercenaries. They have gone to the, Ar- to the Arameans and they have brought in an entire military force unbeknownst to David. And so David sends Joab and Abishai and they go to battle against the sons of Ammon. And they find themselves outnumbered. They find themselves outflanked. They find, them- they find themselves completely surrounded and outmaneuvered. And then we see a theological nugget here in 2 Samuel chapter 10 that I believe we can apply to our lives on every level. 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. David again finds himself in an unexpected situation and David's general says this. If the Arameans... He's saying this to Abishai. He says, if the Arameans are too strong for me, then you'll help me out. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come to help you. Be strong, let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may, that word may is a perhaps, maybe, just maybe, might the Lord do what is good in His sight. And may the Lord do what he sees fitting. So there are two nuggets that I want us to glean from this theological statement. They find themselves in an unexpected situation. They find themselves outflanked, outmaneuvered, outnumbered, and they they are surrounded by the enemy. And they say this, hey, if I need help, I'm going to call on you. And if you need help, you call on me. I want us to hear what God's people said right here. He says, we can't do this alone. He says, you are being attacked. I am being attacked. We are surrounded by the enemy. We live in a world, the scripture tells us in John chapter 10, that the enemy enemy is roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he will devour. That the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. But if we walk out these doors, I can guarantee you that the enemy is going to be all around us. He is in our homes. He is in our he is in those little devices that we put in our pocket and carry around all day. He is on our computer screens. He is in our TVs. He is in our radios. He is at our workplaces. He is at our schools. The enemy is surrounding us. And we somehow have got this idea that, you know what, I can, I can live for Jesus. I can follow Christianity. I can be a follower of Jesus on my own, that I don't need anybody. I can be a Lone Ranger Christian. Boo. It's impossible. We cannot face the enemy alone. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul tells the churches in the region of Galatia, he says this. He said, brothers, Christians, fellow believers who are in churches, local churches, if anyone who was caught in any trespass... You who are spiritual are to restore, not beat up one another, not throw stones at one another, not beat each other over the head with the Bible. You are to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to your own self so that, you'll be, so that you won't be tempted. In the next verse, he says that we are to bear one another's burdens because Christians, brothers, followers of Jesus, we can't do it alone. The enemy is all around us all day, every day, and we can't do this alone. There's a reason that we are born into a family. Whenever you're born, you aren't born an orphan. You're born with a mom and a dad, grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles. Why? Because we can't parent by ourselves. I found that out very quickly whenever we had two young children. My wife and I got a stomach bug, and things were coming out of both ends. It was not pretty, and we got two babies to take care of. What do I do? I call mom. say, mommy, you got to come over here. I can't stay out of the bathroom long enough to feed my baby. We need help. There are times whenever we need help. When we were born, we're born into a family because we need help. When we are born again, guess what? We're born into a family. There's a reason why the local church is described as a body made up of several parts and members. There's a reason why whenever Paul talks about the church, over 80% of the times in the New Testament, he doesn't talk about big C church, he talks about little C church. The church at Antioch, the church at Jerusalem, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Laodicea, the church at Pergamum. Why? Because the little c church is the mechanism by which God puts us in a family for us to help one another, support one another, encourage one another. And hear the theological nugget that the general says here. He says, hey, if I get in a bind, I'm going to look to you for help. And if you get in a bind, you can look to me for help. We're not supposed to do this alone. And then he makes the statement in verse 12. And perhaps, maybe, the Lord will do what is good in his sight. I want us to understand that faith is not deterministic. Faith doesn't determine the outcome, faith determines our outlook. Pastor Steve reminded me of this as he was dying. He said, you know, I've come to the realization that cancer is going to kill me. So, My outlook is my responsibility. The outcome is God's. I want you to hear the prayer. Hear the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego whenever they were confronted with an unexpected situation in Daniel chapter 3. I want you to hear the faith of these men and see how it doesn't determine the outcome but the outlook daniel chapter 3 verse 17 and 18 it says confronted with the reality that they were going to have to bow before this graven image or be thrown into the fiery furnace they said if it be so the god whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand O king the outlook, but listen to the next verse. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not bow down and we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you see the determination that they have said? They say, we understand that the outcome is not in my hands, that I am not, I cannot be so arrogant and so prideful to determine and to, to define what God will or what God will not do, but I can control my outlook that I will not bow down I will remain faithful I will be a man of faith in the midst of unexpected circumstances and so we find here in 2 Samuel chapter 10 that Abishai in the general in 2 Samuel chapter 2 Samuel chapter 10 that they make that same statement Joab in verse 12 He says, may the Lord do what is good in His sight. May the outcome be up to Him. And so here's it for you, church. We're going to do everything that we can as Christians to raise our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're going to do everything that we possibly can to protect our marriages, to protect our families. teach and train the church but you know what we're going to fail because we're human so we're going to trust the outcome to god may god do what is right in his sight but as for me i'm going to stand firm i'm going to battle I'm going to fight as hard as I can fight. And if I need help, I'm going to look to you to come and get my back. And if you need help, you're going to look to me to come, get your, to, to, to come support you and get your back. And we're going to fight as hard as we possibly can. We're going to do battle with the enemy. We are going to beseech the Lord. We are going to beg the Lord to entreat on his behalf. We are going to ask God to, to empower us and to fill us and to use us. And we're going to fight as hard as we possibly can. We're going to trust God for the outcome. I'm going to fight for my kids. I'm going to do everything I can to protect my kids. But whether or not they know the Lord, whether or not they live a life that honors the Lord, it's not up to me. I'm going to do everything that I can to set them up for success. I'm going to do everything that I can to fight. I'm going to do everything I can to lead this church into godliness and righteousness. But the outcome is not my responsibility. My outlook is the only thing I can control. And so today, as we close, there are unexpected things that happen in your life. This morning, you may have sent ambassadors, had every good intention, and it blew up in your face. You may have, had, have done everything right, and still you find yourself with a wayward child. Still you find yourself Not knowing what to do. Not knowing what the next step. You may have done everything right and still find yourself looking for a job. You may have done everything right and still find yourself with a marriage that's broken. You can't control the outcome. But you can control your outlook. And you can lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Say, come, help me. I'm fighting as hard as I can, but they're too much for me. The enemy is too much. I need your help. Let's pray. God, I thank you that in your great grace, you meet us where we are. There are those here who've been fighting and scrapping and clawing just to keep their head above water. And today, for the very first time, You've given them permission to ask for help. They've seen in your word that you've instructed us to ask for help, to not walk through life alone, to not battle the enemy by ourselves, that we are to call on our brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us, to strengthen us, to walk with us. Maybe this morning, The unexpected has happened. You've been humiliated and shamed. God is calling you to trust Him for the outcome. Maybe you're like those ambassadors who've been humiliated and shamed and just need a place to heal, just need a place to be shepherded, to be comforted. Maybe that place is right here at Redeemer. Maybe for the very first time, you realize that that you need a Savior. You need to give your life to Christ. Maybe God is calling you to fight for your family, to fight for your marriage, to fight for righteousness and integrity and trust the outcome to Him. During this time of invitation, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, I want to invite you to come to this altar and pray. There's nothing special about these steps, but there is something, there is something about getting out of your pew and making a step of obedience, falling down before God and saying, I need help. As we sing this hymn of invitation, maybe you need to get down on your knees right where you're at. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, may you find yourself obedient. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would have its way in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.